and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into Wildbo's most nice and accurate work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Urban Morehouse. Yes, and we are back to talk about Malafide 10.2. Um, so Blake is full on in other mode and is looking for friends, and the friend he's looking for is Mags. Uh, so of course he goes to school. But the school is uh, very heavily fortified, so he is forced to just kind of wait outside. Well, yeah, but it's Blake, so he doesn't just like wait outside. Like he doesn't just camp out. He decides mm. to go exploring in the meantime because here he cannot sit still. Um, well, he sits still for a while and then kind of starts to see all the weird shit that's going on. Um, there aren't just runes like he initially thought. There's like four others camped around the school, mm. just keeping an eye out. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, it's definitely, it's, as he said, heavily fortified. Yeah. Um, And it's, so, you know, this is kind of a thread that runs through this chapter, is what exactly the current state of the war is. Uh, Because it seems pretty cold, a cold cold war. Things have not yet Mm -hmm. kicked off. Um, But it's interesting, the Duchamps slash Bahames are clearly worried that their children are in danger. Or is that, that's what it seems at this point, later on, potentially the idea that the children are the danger (laughs) is raised. Um, Yeah, I mean, like a Cold War is sort of the perfect description for where we're at right now. Everyone is like gathering arms and just sort of doing passive shows of force, but we're really all just standing around waiting for the shoe to drop and the shit to hit the fan. In a very big way. And there's this real, like, through, uh, at least for all the Bahames and Duchamps, there's this real fakeness to how okay they're sort of acting. Like, you yeah. know, they're still sending their kids to school, and, and and it's just like, I don't know, it seems really disingenuous and kind of weird to me that they're all just like, oh, you know, nothing's nothing's going on. Look, we're all just being totally normal. It's all fine. Yeah, and it's clearly I wonder not if- fine. I wonder if that's a kind of drawback to being a, you know, a Duchamp or a Bahame where you're leading a civilian life as well. You kind of have to pretend that things are okay sometimes. Um, obviously, Johannes doesn't have that problem, which presumably is an advantage. He also doesn't have anyone anyone kind of tying him down in, in the way that the Bahames and Duchamps have their children that they need to kind of protect. Yes, of course, on the other hand, you know, there's the strength in numbers. I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic yeah. to this contest is... Uh, uh johannes represents a single point of failure for his entire cause yes uh, whereas that's not necessarily as true of the duchamp and behames like you know we've seen people like duncan j- can just step straight into the fold i th- i think it is still true to an extent though i mean i can't you know sandra's the one who's rallied all the behames here um i I think it would very much weaken their position, if not just have them back down completely, losing Potentially, Central. yeah. Yeah. Um, that's fair. Um, anyway, as Blake is kind of wandering around the school, he notices a woman that looks like she's straight out of the trailer for cats, and uh, <laughs> also the faceless woman, who he's seen before, and they kind of have this very weird game of chicken where they're walking towards each other, seemingly going to fight. Um, but it, this is prevented by another guy, and an other... I think, yeah, he's another, but he just yeah, he looks is. like a dude. Um, he comes out of the store and, and stops them. Yeah, and I really like the choice to bring this faceless woman back because, like, when she was in that whole pizza delivery prank, yeah, um, in what way? <laughs> uh, Gone uh, wrong. Yeah. Well, I mean, no. Like now that we've known, now that we've met them, it was it was just a prank from their perspective. I reckon. Um, <laughs> yeah. But what was that like? Arc two. Late yeah, that was arc, arc two. One? Um. Yeah. So like. Back then, she was this, like, big, bad other. Like, that was 
really scary when it happened and uh there was a point made that for some reason it stuck to me it stuck with me that all the other others in the scene were sort of avoiding her like she's super yep. scary and i think she's really just been used in this scene largely to bring up this point that it's like okay um you know she was right at the top of the tier list before but like the situation in Jacob's belt is really bad now. And she's like, yep. I think he says like, she, she probably doesn't even make the top 25. Yeah. She's uh, small potatoes. Mm, so, you know, it, it really, it really sets that, um, how much the stakes have increased since the Jacob's bell we knew of your. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. I, I think that's a good reason to bring her back. Cause she is also one of the first others that we really saw. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having, uh, you know, uh, maybe we're jumping ahead a bit here, but uh, having Blake kind of become part of her group of friends, basically, <laughs> you know, an acquaintance, really solidifies the idea that, yeah, he's a Jacob's Bell other now, like he's part of the gang. Oh, I, I mean, yeah, for sure. Um, That was like such a huge, traumatic, horrific thing when it happened in Arc 2. It was like, oh, yeah. you know, this world is, is horrible. And now, <laughs> now Blake's, Blake's just having chats with around her. with them. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah, you're right. That that was one of the hor- first times we were like, oh shit, others are actually kind of horrible. And th- mm-hmm. these are the exact people that, that caused that reaction, but now Blake's just like What's hanging up, out. guys? Yeah. Um, so the other interesting thing here to me that's, uh, that's, that's a cool little uh, vibe <clears throat> is the others are also participating in this kind of Cold War, right? They, they definitely seem to think that they just want to let things play out for now and lay low and then they can capitalize on the stuff when it does kick off yeah well i mean my understanding of it is um like you know the the locals even the the sort of the ones who are bigger like this faceless woman can't afford to get caught in the middle of the shit storm that's coming so you sort of yeah they're all trying to keep to the edges but as close as they can so that they're in the best position when the shit does hit the fan to to exploit it but you don't you don't want to quite be caught in the crossfire so you yes. they're all they're all just standing as close as they can without actually putting their toes in the water or at least <laughs> that's what they're trying to do this faceless lady doesn't always uh stick, yeah she doesn't stick seem to, to play by the rules yeah <laughs> um so blake watches the faceless woman and the pizza man kind of have this conversation a one-sided conversation because the pizza man is the only one who can talk um and it seems pretty stilted before blake realizes that the man is actually trying to talk to him as well (laughs) yeah it's actually it's a fun little reveal because i didn't really see it coming at all but when you go back and read the conversation a lot of his earlier questions that she doesn't really answer were clearly aimed at blake as well yeah uh, yeah, it's it's, it's great, and I mean, you know, we've already talked about this, but I I instantly fell in love with these two and their wacky dynamic <laughs> slash murder spree. You know, yeah, it's it's a very fun twist on a lot of stuff. I I had a lot of fun with this conversation. Yeah, like just I, sort of I, the ridiculousness of this situation carries you through the entire conversation. <laughs> um, the thing that I liked about this as well is this man is so not otherish. Like for this whole conversation, Blake doesn't point out anything weird about him, right? Um, except for towards the end, he seems kind of, I don't know, uh, numb, uh, maybe a little bit of a psychopath, but no, like, physical abnormalities or anything, which I think is an interesting, it's an interesting choice to have him in this scene, right? Because it, uh, it, it, it kind of feels like, I guess this is the opposite of what we were saying before, but it kind of feels like smoothing the on-ramp for Blake becoming another, for this other guy who's like, yeah, I'm just a dude, like, whatever. <laughs> 
Well, uh, for me, sort of what I noticed is like, I, I, I completely agreed. I got this sense that he was very numb and, and dulled. And, like he, he comes across as very worn down and tired. Like this guy reminded me of the drains. Mm. And I, I was I was thinking about, you know, so we have these two. We have um, Pizza Guy and mm-hmm. The Faceless Woman. Yeah. And they kind of represent these two extremes that Blake is currently trying to balance. Like, he does seem to be kind of alternating between just this inhuman other with no emotions and being like a rage monster. And mm. so I don't really think it's an accident that now he's having a conversation with either side of that spectrum. Um and especially, like, I really love that there's a synergy between these two, you know? Wait, these two really get along, and, you know, I get, wait, maybe I'm reaching now, but there's that sort of <laughs> symbology of how you, you've got to, like, foster the relationship between those two extremes. Like, that's how you meet in the middle, is you sort of accept the benefits of each and, and work your way into the middle. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do like these two as a pair. I, I like the idea that they're kind of representative of um of balancing each other out. I don't know. It's something that I didn't really think of, but I think it makes sense. I mean, yeah, I just I just feel like each of them represents the directions he's going, but like also they represent how the middle ground between those two is to sort of work to each the strength of each. Like this mm. this guy sort of controls the angry side, but he also knows when to let her go. Um I mean, there's also the like the just their dynamic. Like I love how easily they can communicate despite one of them not being able to speak. Like, yeah. I think that also kind of contrasts Blake and Rose, who both can speak, but neither can listen. Um, <laughs> I like that. Anyway, yeah, I mean, again, I think that just reinforces that whole idea about sort of working with different parts of yourself. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, okay. Um, the other thing I like about this is it really gives us this vibe that we kind of have had hinted at, but we haven't really seen to this ex- extent that the, the others around Jacob's Bell... The ones that aren't like, you know, fairy or goblin that kind of have their own class structures also seem to have some kind of society developed um, that they seem to, you know, a very hierarchical society, but a society nonetheless that seems to have its own kind of rules, which I like. Yeah, there's this like little un- underbelly or like, like uh, other social networking system system going on there with this like ignored class in the town that's like, you know, if they don't step out of bounds... They're just kind of forgotten about and ignored. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, again, I just, these two are kind of so friendly. I kind of root for them now, which is like such a weird thing to say because <laughs> I know shipping them? They're, they're still murder monsters. No, I don't really ship them. I just the like- Pizza Woman. That's their ship name. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't really ship them together. I just like that. I just want more of them in the story. I kind of hope that yeah. Blake's almost pseudo friendship with them comes back to reward him in some way in the future <laughs> i mean we've seen i think it was a, a kind of theme throughout the drains that blake leaning into his otherness and it's continued a bit as well outside of the drains that blake leaning into his otherness was a like would bring him boons mm. so I, I like the idea of of uh, whatever abstract force it is pushing him to kind of form a society with the other others as well yeah, I just like the idea of, like, so, you know, if he's in danger sometime and then these two are just going to show up and they're going to be like, don't worry, bro, we got you. Yeah, we it's got you cool. back. Yeah. It's all cool, mate. Um, yeah, we'll see. Uh, anyway, uh, so uh, Blake kind of speaks to them more and um, they start getting to know each other. And the pizza guy basically starts giving Blake a bit of a crash course on how to be an other. Yeah, and of course, sprinkled into this are the little reminders that this dude's just like, a serial killer basically uh, i don't know if that's a fair yep. label for another but he kills people on the regular and you know that that's that's something i have to keep reminding myself as i was just sort of falling in love with these two and their weird dynamic uh, mm. 
that they they are they're monsters, like literally. <laughs> yes, um, they are. And, and obviously, we get our sort of first confirmation in this section that the drains will pull Blake back in. Like this, this he's still very much connected to the drains, and they will pull him back in if he steps out of line too much. Yeah, or um, if he doesn't kind of do what he's supposed to, I got the vibe. Yes, and, and like we sort of already suspected that after the end of Arc Nine, but this is just sort of really reinforcing that idea that the drains are always going to be over his shoulder and you know as like i feel like the message he sort of gets from these two here is like you know you've got to do bad shit to leave your impression on the world yeah Uh, and and blake is going to have to come to terms with the fact that he either does that or ends up back in the drains right um or or finds a different way of leaving an imprint yeah i mean forming strong connections with people presumably would be a way to do that as well but this is the first point at which I, I kind of get the vibe that Blake isn't as um, freaked out by some of the implications of what he has to do as he should be, <laughs> right? Like, he doesn't seem to react too strongly to the idea of having to, I don't know, kill people to leave an imprint. He's like, oh, I wonder how many imprints this guy's left. But he doesn't ever think like, oh, no, am I going to have to do that? <laughs> yeah, he almost doesn't really seem to process it yet. Like, I'm willing to not... Yeah. Call him out too much for just sort of yeah, okay. shoving it aside. But also, I mean, it does say something that it doesn't really occur to him that much to think about it. Yeah. He, he calls um, him out on it a little bit, but not much. Mm. Um, something interesting that happens, I'll read this quote out, uh, where Blake is, they're, they're asking Blake if he's killed before. And he says, Laird, self-defense in large part. Ah, that was you. That was me, I said. This is a fun little beat of Blake kind of seemingly earning his stripes in their mind. The faceless woman seems to be like, oh, cool. All right. You're, you're cool. You're not just a narc. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like it, it, it's like that thing in like a teen movie where the, you know, the kid shows up with beer or something to be accepted by the peers. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it definitely seems to win her over at least. And, and I guess this other guy, he's hard to read because he's so like drained. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's probably yeah. a poor choice of words. Um, no, it's but you, fair. You, know, you know what I mean. Um, uh, sort of speaking of like uh, lead and, and what that sort of means to these people, uh, I wanted to put out this quote where the, the pizza man, uh, the pizza revenant, um, explains the the current situation as they see it because I, I think it's really cool to sort of get this outsider perspective on where all of our candidates are sitting. Mm. Uh, so he sort of says, um, Sand- Sandra wants to preserve tradition. Which, you know, makes sense. She she does sort of represent yep. the old guard in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. He also says, Johannes wants a new world where others exist in ghettos eating phantom sustenance. Yep. Which sounds like a pretty ideal world. Got, yeah, to be kind honest. of lines up. And, and, you know, he's um he is sort of the new up and comer uh, with big plans to change things. So, like, yeah, we, we know about that. Um, he then goes on to say, the Bahames seem to think they can make everything better if they're in charge, which just seems to think that they reckon the Bahames are just sort of entitled think they're entitled to it which yeah and winds up they don't it. really have a strong plan of what they'd actually do no they just believe that they should be in charge which yep. winds up Classic. with their smugness uh pretty well i think yep. um and then of course he, he rounds it out by saying i don't know what the thorburns want which is good because it's not just us then like who yeah knows nobody what the knows what wrote. they want like i don't know what any rose thorburns are up to at this point yeah fair yeah, there's uh, multiple generations of not knowing what the fuck the Thorburns are up to. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so they, they kind of do a bit of a round of what's going on with everybody, and then the conversation starts to wind down, and Pizza Guy offers Blake um, t- that he can come hunting with them if he wants, hunting for weakened practitioners to eat or whatever. 
Um, the pizza guy also identifies Mags as the person Blake's looking for and kind of calls out to her to summon her. Yeah, and so before they figure out that, like, Mags is who he's after, they're all walking together to the school, and it actually mm-hmm. took me a while to click that these two are heading in the, in the direction of the school. Yeah. Uh, it's never explicitly said that that was where they were going, but Jacob's Bell isn't that big. I have a feeling that might be where they're going, and I love how it's never explicitly stated. It's just one of those things where as you get towards <laughs> the end of the section, you're like, wait, hold on, what? Where are they yeah. going? Just head into school. I'm sure it's innocent. <laughs> um yeah, I, I want to hit this beat again. Blake doesn't ever react poorly to the idea of hunting with them. Um, he's kind of like, oh, interesting. Yeah, maybe. And he's kind of dismissal to not... Uh, he, 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 he doesn't want to be too dismissive to not kind of offend him. But in his head also, he isn't thinking, no, I'm not going to do that. Like, or even, oh, I might have to do that. Oh, no. He's just kind of like ignoring it. I don't know. Um. Yeah, I, agree. I, I I don't think, like, he, he doesn't seem even ambivalent or positive about it. He's very much sort of a, oh, that would be bad. But it's, mm. it is it is definitely a sort of dulled reaction to what we would have expected from, um you know, Mr. All Human Life is Sacred Blake of the first seven arcs. Like, it does just sort of feel like he's like, oh, that's, that's just not really for me. Rather than yeah. like, no, that is wrong and, and I must fight you now, which I kind of feel is like what he would have done before. Well, he also thinks... Uh, around this point he he thinks about oh i'm sure that this situation could apply to tiffany alexis and tyler somebody hunting them down and he kind of has a moment where he explicitly kind of thinks to himself that he maybe wants to kill rose um so there's a few things going on here that i don't know feel like they're continuations of the thread of blake just becoming a bit too okay with how much of an other he is at the moment yeah i mean uh, there's also not really a point, like, as you said, he calls out that it could be, you know, Alexis, Ty, or Tiff, and, you know, there's no, oh, and it could be, like, you know, a child Duchamp or Bahane, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. So, I, I don't know. It, yeah, I, I tend to agree that he, he's come, like, his resistance to the idea is from a much less broad place than it was before. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Much more kind of like it feels like he's doing that because that's what he thinks he should do or like that's his default, not because he actually has an aversion to hunting people, you know? Mm. Well, and, and um, he only cares about if it happens to his friends, not to yeah. just innocence. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, so Mags shows up and still recognizes Blake uh, and kind of gives him the uh, the 411 on what he missed while he was down in the drains. Yeah, and like... You just totally skipped over the fact that she's got two <laughs> goblin servants who I assume are like yep. butt sack along with cum nugget and they're in snowsuits, which is just fucking adorable and hilarious. <laughs> like like picturing these goblins in little puffy snowsuits just made my day. This might be my favorite image in the whole story so far. These two reluctant servant goblins in fucking snowsuits. Why are they in snowsuits, do you think? Just to make them disguised as children. Oh, and hopefully to fuck with them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I hope so. Um, Yeah, so the interesting thing about this little start of this conversation is it kind of crashes back together arc 8 and 9 and ties all the plot threads that were kind of lingering from arc 8 back to the kind of contemporary plot that we're exploring from arc 9 and now arc 10 it's a nice kind of efficient way of you know bringing everything back into the main story which i like true although mags hasn't yet told blake most of the truth um yeah it was actually only a a little bit into this that i suddenly remembered he doesn't know it wasn't 
mags with him yeah. in Toronto yet. <laughs> yeah. That, like I'd I'd gotten a bit confused about what he did and didn't know, and uh, it, it it was a it was a little bit of the conversation. I was like, oh wait, f- fuck! Like he has no yeah, idea. She, <laughs> she kind of hand waves it away, like oh don't worry about it. And then later on, uh, Blake says, oh you were there, you saw, and Maggie's uh, Mags is like, oh I wasn't mm. there, and it's kind of like, huh, what? Um. But yeah, anyway. Um, but like, yeah, this is sort of the first proper look we get at Mags since her uh, interlude arc. Mm. And uh, I mean, you know, she's she's already kind of quite worn down and, and tired. Um, but uh, what really got to me is I think the, the big thing we saw, I, I sort of took away from Mags in this section is she's really a, a cog in the machine. She's part of mm. the system now. And, you know, I talked a lot in Arcade about these smart versus right choices and, and how she was the wild card and all that. And I, I thought what we were getting at, at the end of Arcade was a bit of a victory, but it was kind of her own way of entering the machine. And it yeah. already feels a bit soured to me at this point <laughs> because I'm already like, she's just, she's become this sort of powerless part of the machine. And I'm I'm just like, oh, like, this isn't good. Like, I, I guess it is, you know, as she said, she was the worst person to be the wild card given the prophecies around her. But um, it's a bit of a bummer that now she's just, yeah, just this um part of the system. Yeah, but, you know, being the part of the system probably is the safest thing. For- I mean, it, she kind of calls it out as, like, <laughs> she yeah. she wants to be part of the system, right? But that's exactly why these systems perpetuate. That's true. That's <laughs> true. Um, So once they've got the kind of formalities out of the way, Blake starts asking for favours and Mags feels shit. Uh, because she wants to help, but she's the ambassador, so she can't really play any of the sides. Um, yeah, and I mean, this is this is well, this is what I was just saying. Like, this just sucks, especially because like Blake isn't really Team Thorburn anymore, right? Like, he's more of a neutral party. I I would have said. I mean, he has the name and and the origins of, of I, Thorburn. He's he's not aligned to Rose. I agree, but he definitely is aligned to Alexis, Tiff, Ty, and Evan. Uh, yeah. Which means that he kind of has to be a Thorburn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess uh, that that's fair. Um, I I do just like as I was sort of talking about how Mags is has been a bit broken down by the system already. There is this bit where she says that uh, when all of this is over, I'll get back what I lost. She said, "I'm going to blood and fire and darkness that fairy bastard." <laughs> um, and so like, I'm all about that. I, I hope we get to see some of that because uh, yeah. he has it coming and. I can't wait for just to see her go fucking nuts. It'll be great. Yeah, that will be fun. <laughs> um, a big moment in this conversation is Maggie calls Blake a friend. It's a very mm. genuine, wholesome moment because, uh, uh, you know, this is Blake's only real friend. Uh, Evan counts probably and Tiffany mostly counts but you know this is a big moment for Blake like it's a friendship that is wholly managed to win um and still and, exists and, yeah and keep uh is yeah. the important thing I mean yeah and I feel like this is a big deal for both of them really um you know Mag's not really being a big friend person has been a, a yeah. big thing and like a lot of Arc 8 was built around her friendship with Blake um particularly the first half so I think her sort of being able to have that conversation and have him like go along with it probably meant a lot to her as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, another beat that gets confirmed here is that Rose is almost certainly being affected by conquest. Um, so Blake was right. I still feel like he was, uh, I don't know, wrong in a lot of the ways he went about it, but I guess he was right. I mean, yeah, I stand by what we sort of said last chapter, which is like, even if she's, 
is being tainted by conquest, which I think, well, you know, now we know she is. I still don't think what she did last chapter was necessarily that unreasonable, given the situation she's in. Hmm. I do think the conquest tainted led to her getting in that situation. I don't think she would be a part of this competition uh, without some of that. So yeah. yeah, she's in that she's in that situation she was in because of it. But I think once she was already there, I don't think that she did anything too stupid. Mm. Um, also, she goes uh, or when Mags is explaining this, she goes to call Rose something, and Blake just sort of cuts her off by saying "girl." Mm. Um, so you know, my, my tinfoil hat was rustling as I read that bit. <laughs> Yeah, so I'll read out the quote. She says, Where the essence of the bound incarnation leaks out, it seeps into the hair, and through the hair it touches on the connection to taint the... And then Blake jumps in, Girl! Um, (laughs) Who knows what she was going to say? Well, not us, and I'm mad about it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Oh, also, Blake uh, brings up to to Mags, Oh, hey, I've got this friend from the Drains, and I want to summon them. Their name's Green Eyes. Um, But the witch is not mentioned, which... Oh, you kind of touched on that during the arc, during arc nine of like, Blake doing something to, to, I don't know, nourish her uh, from if he gets back. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because my, my first thought was that he was going to go say the witch as well, because she was a much bigger part of his stay in the drains yeah. overall, um, vi- like future visions aside. But I guess on the other hand, I just sort of think the witch sort of made that choice. To she stay. did choose to stay. Yeah. Although I would think that Blake will try and like send a message to her to be like, hey, I got out. Here's how you can do it if you want. Um, yeah. We'll see. I, I mean, well, I think she was the one who told him how to do it. She got there and decided she didn't want to anymore. I think <laughs> yeah. she, she pretty much knew how she chose not to. And I mean, you know, seeing Blake and, and the faceless woman and the sort of hold the drain still has on you after you get out, I. You know, not the craziest idea. Like, the drains doesn't leave you. Even if you get out of the drains, it's still a big part of your life from the looks of it. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Maggie's kind of feeling guilty about not being able to help Blake. And a lot of this is seeming to manifest. Mag- Mags makes some uh, snide comments about, like, oh, did you have to make this request now, dick move? Uh, and we find out because it's obviously because she's on her way to do her daily errand, visiting Molly, and she invites Blake. Yeah, and I mean this is this is a very like touching and emotional moment. Um like when Blake sees Molly's ghost, his heart does some fluttery thing that's just like, you know, normal sort of heart wrenching behaviour that he's for some <laughs> reason otherizing himself about. That's, he, uh, that's his whole thing at the moment, <laughs> Elliot. Um yeah, no, I do wait, like, there's a couple of points in this chapter where Blake sort of unnecessarily otherizes his like normal human reactions yeah. to things. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um <laughs> And then he he also thanks Mags for what she's been doing to keep the Molly Ghost alive. And like, there's yeah. no way in hell that that didn't mean an absolute shit ton to, yeah, to Mags. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, Blake is able to validate her feeling of kind of like feeling betrayed here, right? You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so let's read this out because this is a great cliffhanger. I just want to read it out. Um, Blake says, I don't know if I count. So maybe I'll just say one and a half down, five more to go. Hi, Molly. Hi, Molly said. <laughs> Maggie's expression suggested she was as surprised as I was. That wasn't quite the tone uh, I wrote the back. in, but... Uh, yeah. Hey! I, I was sort of more of just like a hi. Um, no, I like mine better. Either way, I mean, it's a big, like, what the fuck moment. Um, yeah. I, I love mean, it. And Maggie... Is, oh, Mags <laughs> is surprised too. Yeah, it's... It's so great, because, like, 
the Molly ghost didn't talk. And I mean, it could be this whole thing about something's happened recently that's activated her or whatever, because we still don't quite understand where she fits into the whole Blake Rose plan. Um, I'm guessing yeah. we'll get a bit more info on that now that, uh, well, she's here. Um, but I, I like, I, I kind of want it to be this funny idea that she could speak the whole time. She just didn't want to speak to Mags. <laughs> uh, maybe. That I mean, I don't think that's going to be Mags. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that's going to be it, but it would be kind of funny. Yeah. Um, but presumably we will uh, hear more from her next chapter. Yes. Because um, that's the end of Malafide 10.2. But before we go, we wanted to do a bit of a dive into uh, a deep dive into something that we've been kind of thinking about looking at a bit more, which is references to Blake's tattoos. Um, mm-hmm. It happens often in Pact that something gets completely recontextualized. So why not read the whole story again and find all references to that thing? Or, you know, just control F every chapter for the word tattoo, mm. uh, which is what I did. Okay. Uh. <laughs> um, anyway, so we've gone back through and and pulled out references to the tattoos to kind of track uh, what was going on with them over the course of the story up until the point where we found out they were actually spirits. Yeah. And so a lot of the Ark One references are sort of before like Blake is awakened, so it's just people noticing and commenting on them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um and we get a kind of baseline of what they look like, which is helpful to compare against later on when they're more infested. But the first time we really notice some strange stuff going on with him is after Blake awakens, he sees his tattoos moving slightly. Um so do we think this is the spirits kind of automatically getting in there? Like is this representative of the fact that basically awakening brings you closer to being another and now he's unprotected, he just kind of spirits get in there? Well, I mean, he was presumably an other before he even awoke. Um, sure. If he was a vestige. I, I must yeah, see it true. as like they they were getting rearranged and sort of resettling. Like it would have been a big, I'm assuming awakening on a spiritual level is like this big fundamental shift. And they mm. probably had to readjust themselves um, to, I don't know, the new climate. Maybe the spirits were shoring up his damage the whole time, but awakening just allowed him to see them doing yeah. that. That's true. They may have only option. started being stealth after he awoke and, and they didn't quite realize at first. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> Arc 2, the, the word tattoo appears zero times, so let's just keep <laughs> moving. Um, arc 3 is uh, is when he start. they start summoning a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, and so, after at, right at the start of Arc 3, we, we've jumped ahead a few days or maybe a day, and they've spent basically the whole day summoning things and expending a lot of power. Um, and Blake kind of notices that the tattoos look weird. Something interesting is Rose kind of points out, hey, maybe this is possession almost straight away. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, so I kind of wrote it. it off. I kind of wrote it off ages ago, but, uh, nope, she was bang on. Uh, we should listen to Rose. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, uh, like, yeah, so obviously the big thing here is that the, the birds and the background colors are much more vivid, uh, mm. this time as he's sort of dr- starting to drain himself a bit. So yes. I, I'm very much, I, I'm working off the assumption at the moment that the, the birds becoming brighter is sort of the spirits getting a stronger foothold in him. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, um, Blake the background seems... colours are still something mm. I'm actually, like, the, the the more we went through and did this, the background colours are still a bit of a mystery to me. I'm not sure exactly what they symbolise. Mm. Um, so I'm sort of making note of every time they're mentioned specifically, and like, this is one where the background was also more vivid as he got drained. Yeah. Um, something I want to touch on that I think is interesting, not really a specific point from any one chapter, but just throughout 
you know, the, 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 all of the story, Blake sees his tattoos as a kind of embodiment of the idea that his body is his and the kind of one thing he mm-hmm. can depend on. Um, and I, I think that's especially interesting because in arc three, this is the arc where he does glamour to change into a little kid and then he changes back. And throughout that, he kind of uses his tattoos as an anchor, something that he knows is like emblematic of him and he kind of changes back to that version of himself. Um, but obviously, as these tattoos are getting more and more possessed, that idea of his self is kind of n- not super accurate because it's not just himself, it's his tattoo spirits. So I kind of see it interesting that, that Blake kind of has this ideal of himself that is represented by his tattoos, but that is kind of being eroded throughout the entire story. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a nice little inversion. He sees them as the definition of himself, whereas it turns out they're kind of exactly the opposite. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, I'm sort of working off the assumption that he was programmed a little bit to value his tattoos because maybe Rose knew a bit more about them. Uh, Maybe that's why she picked it so Mm. early. And uh, she was able to use them as a gauge of how he's going. Like, assuming she was in on this the whole time, which is sort of the assumption I'm working off of. Yeah. Then, like, that would sort of make sense to have an external indicator that she can use. Yeah, true. That's Um, interesting. I didn't think of that. so, Um, So then we head into arc four. Um, and this is, this is, uh, Blake meets Alexis again mm-hmm. and, uh, she sort of notices that the colors are a bit more vibrant than they should be, which again, yep. is just cause he's, uh, he's, he's pretty worn out even as he just gets to Toronto. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Tiffany also kind of notes his tattoos, um, in, uh, chapter six, arc f- uh, chapter 4.6. But it's interesting because the tattoos are doing really badly. This is right after uh, Blake has first met Pose and his radiation is off mm-hmm. the charts. Um, it's interesting because the, like he kind of notices the birds. Uh, or There's this quote where he says, I was getting more of a sense of what was going on with my tattoos, though. They're a barometer of sorts, a kind of representation of what was affecting me on a mystical level. And he kind of explains it a bit more. Um, it... It's interesting to me. He kind of obviously notes Pose's radiation affecting the tattoos and kind of being an indicator that something bad is going on. But when his when he is more drained, his tattoos are more vibrant. And he, he kind of seems to see this as, as a bit of a like, oh, you know, I'm drained, but I'm okay. My tattoos are doing all right kind of thing. Whereas <laughs> really it's the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, now we, now we understand that. Um, but yeah, I like these details of uh, after he's been posed, uh, the bird's become like dirtier um yeah they, they look more feral and i mean obviously that, that f- adds up with what we know about pose and his radiation it does that mean that the spirits it's the same spirits but they're a bit more feral or is it like meaner spirits are now in his in his tattoos uh, i was working off the assumption it was the spirits are already in him they just okay. got po- posed a bit yeah um, fair enough yeah um, th- and from this point on the tattoos only get worse right <laughs> uh yeah i mean they really go through some shit um well there's an interesting bit in in 4.9 as well where Mm. uh and this is where the 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 meaning of the background really started to stand out to me uh because the the birds sort of get uh, a lot more messed up um but also the the background becomes this like darker cloud and um you know he's he compares it to a bruise he has on his shoulder so yeah i'm interested to see exactly what that means because i don't i haven't mm. pieced it together yet mm. um and then yes uh, in 4.12 there's another reference to the fact that uh he's getting paler but uh 
even his tattoos aren't really getting more vibrant now, so I assume he's even wearing the spirits out. <laughs> he says after this, things were starting to make sense, which I think is <laughs> a complete lie, Blake. Um, yeah. No, so this is when he's in the hyena's domain, and so maybe there's some... Obviously, we know the hyena kind of eats or scares off spirits and others. Yeah, maybe um, they were hiding. Yeah, that that's kind of my th- read on that, is the spirits that were in his tattoos or in him either were scared off or were just kind of laying low. Yeah. Um, so the next interesting tattoo reference is, I think, in Arc uh, 5.3, um, which is after Blake has cut himself open in the in the prison uh, in his, like, mm. borderline suicidal getaway attempt. Yeah. Uh, and basically, the birds are all, like, beheaded and just kind of generally yep. fucked up. There's feathers entering the real world. Um, yep. So, so basically working off the assumption here that he fucked himself up so much, even the spirits that were taking refuge in him got caught up in, in the devastation. Yeah. Uh, um, which which is sense. insane. Like, <laughs> yeah, and presumably did open him up to uh, more serious things uh, taking hold. Yeah. Um, and yeah, this is a thing that kind of comes up towards the end of arc five, right? Is Fell saying to him like, hey, you might actually be possessed. And Blake's like, I'm not possessed. <laughs> <laughs> Fell was right the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just didn't change that much, I guess. He, yeah. He wasn't more possessed. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, but yeah, yes. Uh, so yeah, the rest of arc five and six, there's some casual mentions, I think, and nothing, nothing worth sort of bringing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but then as we head into arc seven in 7.3, after he gets slashed by Isadora and he's in like the, the dream state with Evan and, and eventually Miss Lewis, uh, he notes yep. that, uh, his tattoos, the, the branches and birds had doubled in number, which, uh, you know, there was after he got mauled by Isadora, I guess there was more room, uh, more rooms open up in Hotel de Blake. Yeah. I mean, he, he's having a vision of his ideal future, right? Maybe mm. the maybe the implication there is like he's just gonna uh, in the future he's just gonna keep breaking down and more and more spirits are gonna get inside him. Maybe whatever vision he's having kind of knows that. I don't know. Maybe I I was just working off the assumption that's just where they were at um in in the real mm. world as well. Oh yeah like, yeah fair enough. Um he's obviously pretty fucked up at the moment yeah. right. Um, yeah, but that's actually pretty much the only mention of their tattoos in all of Arc 7. Um, Arc 8 mm. didn't really have any either. Maggie didn't really think about Blake's tattoos that much. Um, and then, of course, Arc 9 is is sort of where it all starts to come together. Yeah. Um, in 9.1, Blake mentions that his tattoos seem to have a mind of their own and he doesn't understand them, which yep. uh, was a nice little bit of foreshadowing <laughs> right before we kind of finally get it put together. Yeah. Um, in 9.4, when Blake realizes that he's a vestige, um, he, he sort of comes back to in the drains and he doesn't have tattoos when he first respawns and then they they kind Respawns. of respread. Um, they kind of respread over his body, uh, yeah. which is a very nice visual, especially now that we know what they mean. Yeah. Um, and of course, in 9.5, he actually takes a look at them now that he knows he's another. Uh, and there's basically a whole shit ton more birds uh, and they're all kind of like staying in the back kind of peering out and watching him which i assume is because they're under assault in the drains as well like we know the drains isn't really the spirit's favorite place to be either yeah yeah and it's interesting like i wonder if this is something that affects all boogeymen right like if they have a thing that because obviously the the spirits possessing blake i kind of feel like they're linked to him becoming more and more of another and his kind of Mm. other sensibilities growing so i wonder if 
basically all these others that we've met have kind of been a product of spirits inhabiting them and kind of turning them more and more into whatever they're becoming. Yeah, I mean, obviously the story like of Pact has made explicit reference to things like, you know, the the way you maintain your domain affects which spirits come in, which sort of affects yeah. you and the domain uh, based on the energy. And I've sort of been assuming for quite a while that the same is true just of yourself. Uh, mm. like the, the, thing, the things you do and the spirits you're constantly interacting with affects kind of what is in, in you. Because I think even normal practitioners to some degree are have like spirits of their self and i think i think what you're doing would manipulate those to some extent and yeah i think boogeyman are the extreme of that where presumably someone like midge is pretty much consumed with like you know angry spirits yeah i mean that makes sense right because we kind of know that midge exists in the form she's in because it was kind of reaffirmed over time mm-hmm. but but now that we kind of have the the idea of spirits inhabiting people a bit more aggressively it kind of makes sense to me that the spirits that inhabit midge kind of just become a breeding echo chamber of anger that and that's what makes her what she is like they're the yeah. conduit for the you know for the ideas of what she is to kind of settle at one well, especially for boogeyman like we we've sort of known that the the spirits are what gives them their sort of their unique powers and stuff and i mean we've even had that sort of explicitly confirmed for evan as well like i i think we all suspected this for a while but evan isn't just a soul he's a soul with like escape and wind spirits mixed in yeah uh and that and and that's sort of what's starting to be explicitly stated and like presumably blake is the same i mean we don't know what spirits are in him but the fact that there's still birds on his tattoos makes me think he probably has similar spirits within him and maybe that's why he and evan f- just sort of felt an immediate affinity for each other yeah that makes sense um and yeah now the spirits are out and about and they're becoming uh well the tattoos are becoming more and more 3d the birds have been able to start turning their heads yeah 9 9.6 and both the chapters in arc 10 basically all the references to the tattoos are just uh, they are they're everywhere and they're worse and blake's in real trouble <laughs> yep um so i guess we'll see where it goes from here mm-hmm. uh, i can't wait um, um both with the tattoos he's gonna and turn else. into a bird i don't know or a flock of birds maybe he can be like a vampire and turn into a flock of bats but instead it's birds that would be pretty cool like mm. i don't know I'd, I'd sacrifice some shit in the drains for that I'd get tattoos for that. Um, <laughs> that's the end of our discussion of Malafide 10.2, though. Uh, if you want to leave us your thoughts on what you think Blake's tattoos are going to do next, the best place to do that is in our tattoo <laughs> discussion threads, which are at the uh, at, down, linked down in the episode description. Uh, yes, but of course, we also accept tattoo-related tweets and anything yep. else, really, uh, over on Twitter. Uh, no, at just Media tattoo stuff. Yeah. Okay. O- only tattoo-related tweets, or we won't reply. Yeah. Please. Um yeah, at MediaMD Podcast is our Twitter. If you want uh, to send tattoo-related media to the other podcasts on the Doof Media Network, the best place to do that is doofmedia.com. We can see all kinds of great shows, like uh, We've Got Ward. I'm, I'm really enjoying engaging with Do The Right Thing at the moment. Uh, mm. But unfortunately, its spot as the newest member of the Doof Network is, is already about to disappear. Uh, because... Yeah, I mean, technically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it's arguable, but... Uh, uh, 24 hours after this episode is published, uh, Vow to View will be launching their their new sort of, I don't know, what's the word, brand, mm. uh, as they transition over to mm, What You Say. Yes, Vow to View has for a long time been one of my favourite doof shows, um, mm. despite the fact that 
its actual format is probably the part of it I like the least. Like the <laughs> on paper part of it where they prescribe each other movies. I don't know. Uh, you know, I've got enough uh, prescription podcasts in my life. I just like them hanging out and talking about shit. And so I'm really excited for mm, what you say. Uh, I think it's going to be great. Oh yes, and and I think the uh, the OC is a good fit for uh, you know mixing in with the Bachelor and the Rosies and Thornies talk. Um, yeah. So yeah. Wait, uh, Elliot, do you hear that? What you say? Mm, it's the newest of show, starring Scott and Ellie's. Mm, what you say? Mm, could it be Doof's best? Of course it could. Mm, what you say? Each week they watch the OC and talk about life. Mm, what you say? Subscribe to hear what they say. Uh, what? Wow! Sounds sounds like a great show. Um, <laughs> now, if you want, these these shows, all of the shows on the Doof Media Network only exist because of the support of our lovely patrons. Um, if you'd like to be a lovely patron or a regular patron, uh, you can head over to Patreon.com/slash/DoofMedia. Yes, uh, and of course, as we've already mentioned, uh, the only thing keeping Wildbo from being possessed by spirits is his patron donations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So head over, head on over to patreon.com slash Wildbo and, you know, prevent him from being taken over because if he gets sent to the drains, he can't write. Yeah. That's just yeah. science. And he'll always be at risk of being recaptured. Um, mm-hmm. If he gets sent to the drains, the only way his web seals will go out are on weird drain radio stations. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd, try and, I'd try and find a way. Um, try and tune in. Anyway, our next episode uh, will be uh, 10.3. That's coming out on Wednesday the 21st. So we will uh, see you then. See ya.